0: We're continuing with our series on Ephesians, the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. We're starting chapter 6, just looking at the first four verses this evening. The duties of children and parents, duties of children and parents. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6. just to remind you what we were looking at last week, we looked at the duties of husbands and wives, that wives are to be in subjection to their own husbands and husbands are to love their wives as the Lord Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If that's unacceptable and abhorrent to people, particularly the bit about wives being in subjection to their own husbands, well that's because The marriage union which mirrors the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with his church, with the church being in subjection to him, that is abhorrent to this world. Indeed this is a world that hates the Lord Jesus Christ. This evening we move on to duties in other relationships, the first of which is the duty of children to be obedient To their parents. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and I'll read the first three verses. Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honour thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Right, think about this now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter, obviously the, the, it, the letter went to Ephesus for what purpose? To be put on a, a shelf or filed away in a drawer? It went to Ephesus for the purpose of being read out to the congregation in Ephesus. So Paul was clearly assuming that at least some of the hearers would be children. That stands to reason from what he said in verses 1 through to 3, where he was addressing children. Yet, if the churches back then followed the pattern of a lot of today's churches, none of the children in Ephesus would have heard verses 1 through to 3, and that is because they would have been whisked off to Sunday school during the main service. May God continue to spare us from such nonsense at this church. Anyway, with that said, I've got that one off my chest, we can see in verse 1 that you who are children are to be obedient to your parents. It's very clear, children obey your parents. I trust that makes perfect sense when you consider that parents are older and they have more experience of life than you, They have more knowledge and one would hope that they are wiser than you at least for the time being. Maybe that will not continue to be the case when you reach adulthood but for now generally speaking parents do know best because they have more knowledge, more experience of life. Although it may not seem like it to you. Also Although it may not seem like it to you, with some of the rules that parents put in place, ordinarily in human relationship, there is no closer relationship than a parent towards his or her children and the love for those children until such time that the child grows up and leaves the family nest and gets married and enters into that union, that husband and wife union that we looked at last week. But even then, the parent never stops loving the child. Therefore, as a child, your obedience to your parents ought to be the fruit of gratitude and love for them. And for the, you, you have gratitude for them because of their love towards you, caring for you over all those years. But there's more to it than that, as can be seen in verse 1, the obedience of children to their parents is in the Lord, for this is right. That trumps any other reason for children being obedient to their parents. The obedience is God's will, and that elevates it to a much higher level of importance than if the obedience was simply done out of affection and love for your parents. The main reason is because it is in the Lord for this is right. The obedience of children to their parents is not simply done out of a desire to get the the latest iPhone or out of a kindness towards them, or a respect for them, but primarily because it is right. It is right means it is righteous, which is the opposite of being sinful. When something is right, it is not sinful. Why is it right? Because it is God's will, and therefore disobedience to parents is unrighteous. In other words, it is sinful. That's how serious a matter it is. We see in verse 1, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Therefore, if you don't obey your parents, it's sinful. You're going against God's will. Clearly, in these few short verses, Paul does not address circumstances in which parents demand obedience of their children in matters that are far from righteous. Paul doesn't address in these few verses parents who are wicked and cruel and nasty and horrible. That is another matter altogether. In verse 2, Paul's exhortation to children to obey their parents is strengthened by one of the commandments. Look at verse 2 there. Honour thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise. Paul is quoting one of the commandments, the fifth commandment, as can be found in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. Honour thy father and mother, the fifth commandment. At this point, It's as well to remember that 30 odd years had passed since the Lord Jesus Christ became the mediator of the new covenant by means of his shed blood and his death at the cross. 30 years had moved on roughly. I say that because there are more than a few professing Christians who seem to imagine that with the establishment of the new covenant, of which Jesus is mediator, the Ten Commandments have now been abrogated or done away with. They don't apply anymore. We can carefully tear um, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 out of our Bibles and throw them in the bin because we're, we're under the new covenant rules now. I don't know if that is wishful thinking on their part, but what I do know is that Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, was declaring one of those ten commandments in a way that ought to tell us and tell any reasonable person that the commandments are still valid. That makes perfect sense to me and I hope it makes perfect sense to you. Just looking there at verse 2. I get it that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, has fulfilled all the ceremonial laws, all those laws that relate to blood sacrifices, and also he has broken down and abolished all those judicial laws that were a barrier between Israel and the Gentile nations. But why would anyone imagine that God has repealed or done away with his moral laws? such as the Ten Commandments that he wrote on tables of stone with his own finger at Mount Sinai. One of those commandments is, as we see here, honour thy father and thy mother. It is God's moral laws that expose our own sinfulness. For example, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, Paul testified, What shall we say then? Is the law sin?" God forbid, nay I had not known sin but by the law for I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. As such Paul was brought to a conviction of sin by the tenth commandment thou shalt not covet. When he saw that tenth commandment thou shalt not covet it, he, he it exposed the lust within his heart. And that is one of the purposes of God's laws. It is God's moral laws that work repentance unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about it, the only one who stands to gain by the abolition of the Ten Commandments is the devil. I'm sure the devil would love it if we all thought, that the Ten Commandments no longer applied. It simply doesn't make sense. Those, te- those Ten Commandments, they reflect the, the, the divine characteristics, the, the holy, the pure, the righteous characteristics of Almighty God. Abolish the Ten Commandments is an attempt to abolish God. Not only is honouring thy father and thy mother a commandment of God, violation of it was punishable by death in Israel of old. Disobedience to parents was punishable by death. That's how serious it was. And it is. Although that is not the case for us today, it should nevertheless give you some idea of how serious it is dishonour your parents. However we also see in verses 2 and 3 that it is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. We see that in verse 3 there. Actually honouring your father and mother is the only commandment with a promise attached to it. As such what Paul was probably saying was something along the lines of honouring your father and mother is the first of the ten commandments that refers to our duties to one another. All the commandments before it relate specifically to our duties to God and then the fifth commandment, that's the first of the commandment that relates to our duties to one another and it has a specific promise attached to it. All the commandments before it are duties to God and then the fifth commandment through to the tenth, inclusive, are our duties to one another. It may be objected that honouring parents does not necessarily equate to living a long time on the earth because isn't that what it says there in verse 3? That it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. How so? Whilst it doesn't there's no guarantees that you're going to live to be a hundred or whatever if you honor your father and your mother, if you you're obedient to them. Honoring and obeying godly parents certainly isn't a bad thing. Let me just quote the New Testament commentator William Hendrickson, what he said. Disobedience to godly parents indicates an undisciplined life. It leads to vice and dissipation. I I read that and I didn't know what dissipation meant. I checked out the definition of dissipation and here are some of the synonyms. Debauchery, excess, indulgence, abandonment. Let's face it, none of those things promote a long and healthy life. It kind of makes sense if you've got godly parents who know best. They've been there, they've seen life, They know all the pitfalls, they know all the things that are good, not all the things but they've they got a good idea of the good things, the bad things in life, what to avoid and so on. If you choose to obey all of that, ignore them, be disobedient to them and not take on board what they're saying to you, you're setting yourself up for a fall. We'll now move on to the duty of fathers to their children. Look at verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We spent a bit of time considering the very important duty of children to honour their parents. We've seen that as a commandment of God, it carries very serious consequences for violation, for breaking that commandment, but also it carries promises of blessings for obedience. To a large extent, compliance or non-compliance with that commandment is dependent on how a father raises his children. How, whether or not a child obeys The father depends to to a great extent on how the father raises the child. Although fathers and mothers both have responsibilities towards their children, Paul does not say parents in verse 4 as he did in verse 1. He says fathers. Perhaps that's because the husband is the head of the wife, as we've already seen in chapter 5 and verse 23, and so it follows that the husband is also head of the family with overall responsibility for the family. Fathers are not to cause avoidable and unnecessary anger and resentment in their children. That can so easily happen when fathers or parents generally are overly severe, overly strict, or they are unnecessarily restrictive perhaps with what the children are allowed to watch on television uh, a responsible and loving parent ought to be ke- uh, ought to monitor what the child watches but it's very easy to c- take it too far likewise they may be overly restrictive on where they allow their children to go t- go out to and what time they expect them home much depends on how old the child is and the level of maturity of the child parents may show favoritism or be inconsistent with how they treat their children treating some more severe or more lenient than the others and all of that would cause resentment much of how fathers raise their children would rest upon the combined wisdom, normally, of the fathers themselves, friends giving their pennies worth on how they should raise their children, various professional advisors, and who knows who, who knows what. If it were not for the fact that Paul says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord of the Lord as such the Bible is the instruction manual for how fathers are to raise their children the original Greek word that has been tra- translated nurture have a look at this carefully now I don't want to confuse you I'm trying to help you here I've got bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the King James Bible if you've got another version of the bible you may well have something else there okay so let's look at nurture what does that mean it can be translated as training or discipline you may have training or discipline if you've got another bible as for admonition as for admonition that is translated as instruction In various other Bible versions. I'll deal with the nurture and then the admonition. Dealing first with nurture, stroke training or discipline. That means that fathers are to ensure that their children are educated in matters of morality, the Bible, the God of the Bible. It goes without saying that most fathers and mothers in the world will fail miserably in that duty to raise their children in the nurture of the Lord because most people in the world don't know the Lord, they've got no interest in the Lord and they probably wouldn't have a Bible. But not only does nurture stroke training stroke discipline mean nourishing the minds of children with the scriptures, it means disciplining them. It means chastening them, even with a whack if necessary. Having said that, what is not good is for a child to grow up with abiding memories of being physically abused by an angry father. That, that of course is very different to a child growing up and having abiding memories of being chastened by a loving father because of his rebellion when his father simply sought to, to impart the truth of God's word to him, to keep him safe, and to keep him safe from moral corruption. Big difference there. Eli the priest failed to discipline his two wayward sons. They were also priests. And we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 3, <coughs> verse 13, that Eli's sons made themselves vile, and he, that is Eli, their father, restrained them not. The sons ate meats from the offerings which were not allocated to them. They had sexual relationships with women who served at the door of the tabernacle. Such was the awful level, the low level of their, well they were just totally depraved. So important to chasten your children. That is part of nurturing them, to chasten them. Coming now to the meaning of admonition or instruction, the second bit there in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We've looked at nurture, we'll look at admonition. Admonition has less to do with teaching and with discipline, as we've just seen, and more to do with words of encouragement or words of rebuke, depending on the situation, of course. As children grow up and become adults and leave home, the time for training them and spanking them comes to an end. Especially if they are bigger and stronger than their fathers. And I can remember um, a very good friend of mine back in uh, back in England. He'd spoilt his child terribly. I, I I witnessed it. I kept quiet about it, and not for me to say anything. And that child didn't always remain a child. And one day that child, when he was a bit bigger, his father did seek to correct him and he pulled a knife out on his dad. Bit too late then, I I would say. I would also say that perhaps there's an argument for that boy to have received a, a loving whack many years earlier. However, the encouragement of them... And the rebuking or reproving of them when they've grown up is just as important as ever. Coming back to Eli the priest, even though he was an old and frail man, he ought to have at the very least rebuked his wicked sons much more than he did. He couldn't do any more than that. The days for training his sons, nurturing them was finished. But he could have been more severe with his um, with his rebuke. If you read the story for yourself in the Old Testament, you see that he was very lame, to say the least, with his sons. Also, I don't know if Eli failed in, in this as well, but it's important to grab every opportunity to encourage children when they do what is right. As we close I suspect that a lot of what I've said this evening about obedience of children towards their parents and the responsibility of fathers towards their children to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord will not meet with the approval of a world that has forsaken God. A society in which fathers are largely absent and increasingly the family unit counts for nothing. The family is at the very heart and centre of a godly society but we don't live in a godly society. We live in a fallen world of which the devil is prince and so it is that we have laws that make the fulfilment of parental duties increasingly difficult. For example, even the moderate physical correction of a child I'm talking about a gentle whack now by parents has all been outlawed, all but been outlawed. Also, children are being facilitated by the state and its ungodly laws to do various things without the need to even inform their parents. Despite living in a world where subjection and obedience within relationships is frowned upon, precisely because of its rebellion against God and its hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. Children are nevertheless to obey their parents in the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is right. We see that in chapter 6 and verse 1. I have a question. All you children who are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, can you see that being different from the unbelieving world and perhaps receiving insults being persecuted being treated badly because of your desire to honor jesus to glorify the lord jesus christ is not just something that you'll have to think about in the future when you're grown up when you're a grown up christian it's now this is now this is something that you need to consider now with your obedience to your parents even if all your friends at school are doing the complete opposite and it's totally it's seen as totally uncool to be obedient and to honor your your parents and they see you as being a bit odd to say the least doesn't matter if you're a christian and you want to honor the lord jesus christ then the way, one of the ways to do it is to be obedient to your parents In the Lord, for this is right. Last of all, the obedience of children towards parents is done in the Lord and the nurture and admonition of children by their fathers and by extension mothers is of the Lord. So in the Lord and of the Lord. In the Lord in verse 1, of the Lord in verse 4. This makes it all about Jesus, doesn't it? But what can be said about Jesus? For one thing, when it comes to obedience, Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And when it comes to being chastened or punished, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Fathers, mothers, children, indeed everyone in the world has sinned and has come short of the glory of God. Therefore, doesn't matter who you are, child, father, father, mother, whoever, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who for your sake was obedient unto death, having been punished for your sins and you will be saved. Amen.